you're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Maggie Grout, founder and CEO of Thinking Huts. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So we use architectural scale 3D printers to construct schools and it's a hybrid design. So there are 3D printed walls and then locally sourced materials for the rough door windows. And that was an intentional design choice. So we're blending old and new and still being able to train local workers on how they can operate the printer and doing technology transfer that way. In terms of how it works on the ground, we have a combination of teams that come together based around the world, but primarily in Madagascar itself. So we have the local construction workers and engineers and then the architects and then, of course, the technology partner. We're planning and currently in development for the Honeycomb campus, which will be once completed eight huts on about a acre of land on the west coast of Madagascar. The supply of teachers and the daily operations and the management of the school are done by local partners. But from that, we have understood the other challenges pertaining to overcrowding and long travel distances to the nearest school. Generally, there are people there who want to teach and students that want to go to school, but the existing infrastructure is either just not there or extremely overcrowded. So they can't take on additional enrollment. And that's what prevents them from attending school. So with Thinking Huts, we are trying to be inclusive of both boys and girls. In Madagascar, I do think there are less cultural barriers that I have observed to other countries that may not be as accepting. Where I come from in China, there is more of a preference to males rather than females with children. But in Madagascar, we're trying to support that empowerment so that they don't have to get married very young. Because it's definitely normal in certain villages without access to the education to then be married as young as 15. Like when I had first started with Thinking Huts, just seeing that parallel there and then not being able to go beyond that because of the financial dependence on someone. So with Madagascar, I was largely drawn to the people and I understood the international development component of it being so important where you would be doing all of your work. You need to be accepted by the local people in that they need to be understanding and also supportive of where it could go long term. And we found the most excitement and a huge warm welcome from the communities we approached there. And I think that really needs to be in place for any type of international development project because it won't be successful long term if you don't get the local buy-in in order to carry out such a large scale initiative. How do you think these schools can go about inspiring the students to reach higher with their goals? I think a lot of that may actually come to representation and seeing role models because we have quite a few here in the U.S. That's how people are like, oh, I want to be that person. And then they see that in the media and there's just not as many in Madagascar because I believe it may be the fourth or fifth poorest country in the world. And when you do not see that representation or opportunity, then that's something that will hinder you because you don't think it's possible to attain. Empower a way where they have different choices. So we're not really tracking, oh, this person became a doctor. It's more, okay, this person, if they have more choices, they no longer have to then get married so young. They can go and do another type of job. And maybe that is also a manual labor type of opportunity, but it wouldn't be another option that wouldn't enable them to then advance in life. Because I do think if you 
get them beyond those barriers, then they are not prevented from achieving other opportunities in life. So I think that is where our work is mainly occurring. What can we learn, in fact, that we might have forgotten with our industrialized societies? Mm, That's a really good question. I think maybe what we've learned is how important family and community is. What I noticed in Madagascar is how really genuinely happy they are, despite not having a lot in life. And we have so many material possessions here in the U.S. And not to say that's all bad if people want to pursue that, but I just definitely noticed how it wasn't so much about what you have, but who you are as a person. It's how do you energize people to get behind you as a young person to be taken seriously? I do think it is quite challenging being younger, especially operating in male-dominated industries across construction, architecture, and technology. It's definitely a learning experience, but I do think people tend to respect you more as you prove your capabilities and competence because it definitely didn't happen overnight for me. And It's something I still try to navigate now, so it's not going to be going away overnight. But in terms of fundraising, primarily individuals, I would say I am set apart in a certain way from other charities in that we do value who we're accepting money from. And maybe that means like we are not going to be raising to the extent of a UNICEF, for example, but we do understand how it is important and that does influence the organization itself, like the people who are giving the funds. Um, And then in terms of mentors along the way, I would say a huge part of it was my parents and my dad just telling me that I could do it because that is a huge inhibitor. If people are told that you can't do something younger and then they'll just never try. I think being a young Asian woman and trying to lead people can be difficult in the sense that they have those assumptions in place. I do think the typical archetype of Asian women is that you're supposed to be quiet and maybe those aren't going to be perceived leadership qualities. But in terms of what I have done to overcome that, I really focused on building the trust and showing people that I genuinely care about them and valuing long-term relationships, especially in the business side. So with the construction team, just showing them that I'll stand up for them if I see behavior that's not okay in my perception. And just being a good person with ethics, I think is maybe what sets me apart because then people respect that and they'll follow you. And I think that is how I've approached it, just not trying to fit in. And it takes longer to be taken seriously, but you'll weed out the people that aren't the best fit on the team and you'll really value and hold high standards to who you want to work with. What would you like young people to know, preserve and remember? I would want them to know that anything is possible. You just need to persevere and that they can have such a huge ripple effect in not only one person's lives, but anybody, whether that's a community or the whole world on a global scale. I wouldn't want people to feel discouraged because I think there's definitely moments along the way of that and people will just not want to try to do that because people around them may say it's not possible. But if you keep going, then It will eventually come to life. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.